This podcast is presented by the Ed Narrative, a place for reflective discourse about education. Visit theednarrative.com to subscribe to this podcast and the blog. And please remember to leave a review on iTunes so that we can grow this community of educators. Welcome to the Ed Narrative Podcast. This is Episode 9. My name is Darren Ralston. I am the producer of this podcast. Uh, This time around, we'll be talking with Sarah Robinson about trauma-informed education. Um, But before I go too much further into that, I do want to make sure I cover some points of business. There is a little bit more than usual this time around, but that's a good thing, right? Um, So, first of all, I want to thank the listeners because I have been seeing more and more people engaging directly with this work that I'm doing, and and I really appreciate hearing from you. So, thanks again. Um, If this is the first episode of this podcast that you've heard, I do want to recommend, uh, there's eight other ones that that are done too, Um, but in particular, one that you might find interesting is the culturally responsive uh, teaching one that I did, and that is episode seven. So uh, you might want to check that one out. Um, As for the next podcast, I do have that one lined up, and that will be with superintendent of Albemarle County Schools, Pam Moran. She's retiring, and Matt Haas, her deputy superintendent, will be stepping into her shoes. So I'll have both of them in the studio at Monticello. Uh, It'll be good to be back in there again uh, and talk with them. So back to this specific episode. Um, We're talking with Sarah Robinson, who works with Region 10 in Charlottesville, and it serves the greater area of Albemarle County, Fluvanna, Green Louisa, and Nelson, and it's part of a uh, statewide network of community service boards looking to better life and the community in in the areas they serve. In specific, we are looking at uh, trauma-informed education and ACEs, Uh, which you'll learn more about uh, in the podcast. Also, I do want to make sure that uh, you're aware of two things. One, uh, that I do have a blog post that has supplemental resources for this specific episode. I went ahead and I put those out. I do my blog posts Monday morning, um, and then the, uh, the podcasts go out on the 15th of each month. So the supplementary material has been there for a couple days already. Um, but please check that out. There's some good links. There's a, there's an overview. Sarah went ahead and, and did a guest blogger uh, piece there. So, so that's there. And then also Sarah had asked me to put out a word for uh, people within Region 10's area about uh, their program, ACE Interface, which is a free training on ACEs and resilience. Um, so a lot of stuff available and... I hope that you find this as helpful as I did. Uh, It was a great conversation, and I think think it's time we go ahead and jump in. All right, here we go. No, thank you. Yeah, I was wondering. It took took a little while. I was like, well, maybe not. Maybe she's... No, thanks. Yeah. Well, what made you you kind of go, I'm not sure I want to do that. Um, I just have not ever done a podcast like this yeah. before. Yeah, okay. So. No, that's fair. Right. So. I, I think it's, it was an exciting topic to come and talk about because we're having right now our communities becoming trauma-informed. Right. And then the question keeps coming up, what next? Yeah. What do we do next? Right. And this is where 
you think about what next is mm-hmm. these conversations that you exactly have. What do we, yeah how does this what does this look like in the classroom yeah so i mean you know let's just go ahead and dive right in then what like what uh, what stuff has been kind of consistently hitting your radar um, I hear from teachers and educators all the time, we need to know, now that we're starting to learn more about how our kids are impacted by trauma, that they weren't thinking about before, mm-hmm. kind of adverse childhood experiences. Sort of like when they see the symptoms, they're not sure what the cause Right. Well, is, now or... they, they're starting to suspect they know the cause. Oh, okay. Instead of looking at a child and saying, what's wrong with them? They've moved on to what's happened to them. And okay. then the teachers and educators are coming back and saying, well, what do we do to help this child who's experienced these things? Mm-hmm. And what's the next step so they can learn and, mm-hmm. and be functional? And so we're really hitting that point where folks in the community are saying, how do we start to heal? Right. And that's exciting because for yeah. a very long time we were saying, take a look at this. This is important information that these childhood experiences can really change the brain. Mm-hmm. And the behaviors you're seeing in class are not because this student is a bad kid or they don't like you. It's mm-hmm. because their brain is hijacked Right. Yeah. by these early experiences. So you, you said there's been kind of a shift as to where there's an awareness of this. What, is there anything that you would say precipitated this awareness? I think... Our community has done a really nice job of embracing training and education mm-hmm. around ACEs and have brought wonderful speakers What's in. ACEs? Give, ACEs? Give me, yeah. ACEs are ch- adverse childhood experiences. So in the late 90s, they did a study that we now call the ACEs study, mm-hmm. and they found that these 10 traumas or chronic stresses that children experience then go on to lead to disruptive neurodevelopment, mm-hmm. and that can lead to over 60 different health risk factors or diseases and later later in life. So when we think about trauma, we, we think about big T trauma. Mm-hmm. So that's something you might see on the front of the newspaper, front page of a newspaper, mm-hmm. a hurricane or a terrible car right. accident. House but fire. Right. Yeah. The ACEs are small T traumas that are, are repeated exposure to toxic stress. Mm-hmm. So being physically abused by a parent or caregiver, um, seeing your mother abused in a domestic violence situation, Mm -hmm. or living with a a caregiver or a parent who has a mental illness, having a parent who's incarcerated or being separated from a parent through divorce, Mm -hmm. things like that are considered our adverse childhood experience. These are almost more like the hidden traumas. Is that fair to say? Certainly. I think we are more inclined to be able to identify acute traumas Mm -hmm. than we are the chronic traumas that Mm -hmm. children may experience over time. So the adverse childhood experiences are really those chronic exposure to trauma that they experience from age zero to 18. Right, right. Um, And we, you may hear us talk about the ACE score. Mm -hmm. And what that really means is looking at those 10 adverse childhood experiences how many of those has a child experienced? So if a child has experienced four of those, that tells us a little bit about their the trajectory of their health outcomes. Okay. Um, and that we know through research that the greater the, the ACE score, the greater the risk is for, for health and, and other problems later in life. Right. With the idea of 
what that shift was in the schools. I want to make sure we get back right. to that. A few community members started to hear, learn about ACES and started mm-hmm. to bring more training and education to the schools. What we saw were that teachers and staff really connected with this material and they started to see the kids' behaviors through a different lens. So instead of seeing a kid who can't pay attention in class and is disrespectful from the teacher and seems to have a really difficult time getting along with their peers, instead of viewing that child as a problem, they started to think of them, okay, well, what's happened to this child? They haven't had the skills and abilities given to them as a child to be able to get along with their peers or work with authority figures. And they they really need skills to self-regulate, to be in relationships, and they haven't received that because they've been enduring this toxic stress. Mm Mm-hmm. And their brain has not been wired to attend to their coursework. It's been wired to respond to stress with fight, flight, or freeze. Would you say that their mind is more geared towards looking for that moment where they need to exhibit that uh, fight or flight? Maybe it's not that kids are looking for that response, but that's really how their brain has been wired to respond to stress. Okay. So the stress in childhood of experiencing abuse or neglect has wired their brain to then see other stressors such as a test or a teacher asking them to sit down their brain can't really tell the difference between the two of it's them. just a stress it's, just it's not wired. a huh, so okay. i you know an example i often will give teachers is a student who hasn't experienced this type of trauma maybe walking down the hall shouldn't be there mm-hmm. and the teacher says hey where are you going that student may turn around and say, I just need to go to the bathroom mm-hmm. right? and kind of keep on right. moving. A kid whose brain has been wired to respond with fight, flight, or freeze to stressors because they've repeatedly experienced that may then respond with, leave me alone. Don't talk to me. Yeah. Right? That fight mode. That or confrontational they turn piece. and head off as yeah. fast as they can. They're in flight mode. Mm-hmm. Or they might just ignore that teacher and not respond to them because they've moved into flight the freeze mode Mm -hmm. and that's because their brain has been wired to do that Mm -hmm. and that function in their brain has become really strong we think about it like that's been doing Mm push-ups right that's the yeah okay the the more you're you experience something the more the pathways in your brain develop so you get really really good at it Mm -hmm. Um, we we talk about the pathways in the brain like roads Mm -hmm. so for a kid with trauma their interstate where they go really really fast is to fight flight and freeze right whereas the pathways they have not experienced so much like being able to resolve a conflict without violence that's like a country road in their brain (laughs) and they haven't traveled down that pathway as much and so teachers begin to hear this and say oh this makes so much sense to me i need to help them practice going down that pathway of conflict resolution over and over again to mm-hmm. help that pathway start to be a little faster in their brain because we know that the other pathway to fight, flight, and freeze, right. we it's, know that's worn down, that's fast. They that's know how to go there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And teachers began to understand this can really help me to address those behaviors in class so that they're not taking so much time from other students. You have started to see some of these um 
you know, classrooms where the teachers are, you know, they're, they're linked into this? Right. What have I, been I some of the outcomes? Ways. Um, one is that teachers are learning to, instead of react to the behavior, mm-hmm. respond to the need. So instead of trying to shut down a behavior, you need to sit down and listen. Look at what's going on with this kid that they might be standing up and refusing to sit down to take a test. Is that because they're anxious that they haven't prepared for it and they need some self-regulation skills Mm -hmm. for their anxiety? Is it because they had an argument with their parent that morning and they need someone to talk to about that? Mm -hmm. Or is it that someone bumped into them on the way to class and they're feeling really stern, churned up? Yeah. And a lot of those emotions are, are stirred up for them and they need some support in that. So looking at what's the need so that they can address the need and then help that kid get back to taking the test. So that's one piece of it. I think another piece is really thinking about how do you redirect these behaviors and provide consequences and discipline that makes sense. Okay. Um, Discipline is really to teach, and we want to be able to teach someone different way of managing their behaviors. And so that might look like instead of saying, okay, you're yelling at your and cursing at your classmate, you're suspended or in in school suspension right that's sort of instead just clapping of, down the right, thing immediately them from the school instead say okay we need to do some restorative practices work mm-hmm. with this to help you learn how what was going on with you at the time that you were so upset and how do you calm those feelings down what do you think was happening for that other person how did you impact them that's building empathy teaching right empathy. yeah and then the last one is, how do you integrate that? Well, how do you need to repair that rupture? And the language mm-hmm. we would use with a kid is, what do you need to do to make it right? Yeah. And help actually helping them to learn how to resolve conflicts. Right. Instead of just saying, you had a conflict, you're out of here till tomorrow. Right. We don't want to see you tomorrow. And when you come back, why would we assume you mm-hmm. have any new skills? Right. And I, and I liked what you had said about giving the student a chance to address the issue. One of the things that I've been seeing in um, in some of the schools that I've been working in is that uh, they have started putting in place some of those structures where, okay, so this thing happened, you know, what are the potential outcomes of that? Who has, you know, who has this affected in general? What can we do to try to ameliorate it? So bringing the kid into their own process of discipline or correction or corrective behaviors, I guess just using the term restorative, right. which well, is what you had used in the first place. So, <clears throat> Particularly for the adolescent brain, we know that these are the skills that they are developing and don't yet have right. that ability to have insight and empathy and put those things together in a way that integrate those in a way mm-hmm. that help them to get along with other people. So this is important, social-emotional learning for all high school students, Mm -hmm. but even more so for kids who've experienced ACEs because they may not have been exposed to that type of learning if at home what they see is when you have a conflict, you resolve it with violence, Mm -hmm. threat, or intimidation. Yeah, And we are able to now say, okay, we can acknowledge this behavior and hold it accountable. This certainly doesn't mean that that students are not held accountable for behaviors that are harmful to others. But also take it the next step and say, how do we teach them new strategies mm-hmm. so they don't continue that mm-hmm. cycle? Right. Which really will become a cycle of trauma where they then have to adapt unhealthy lifestyle behaviors in order to 
to cope mm-hmm. with how stressful things are. And we see that often kids who have a high A score often start using substances, are in unhealthy relationships, um, are very often involved in the criminal justice system, mm-hmm. and they continue in this cycle of trauma. So just giving students strategies and skills and an opportunity to practice those skills within a safe relationship. So I think something that has really resonated with teachers as they've heard this information is how important their relationship can be to helping students heal and recover from early childhood trauma. Right. And they say, well, what can I do? If their brain has been wired this way for so long, what can I do? Um, And you may have heard before I've said talked about Malcolm Gladwell's book, yeah. Out- Outliers, mm-hmm. and he says, well, if you do anything for 10,000 hours, you get really good at it. Right. That helps us to understand why kids who have experienced a lot of ACEs, they're mm-hmm. really good at fight, flight, and freeze. Yeah, well, it's right? like that negative piece of doing something really well. You get well. really good at it. Yeah. And so we say, well, for kids to be successful as adults, they really need self-regulation, that ability to calm themselves down in the moment. Mm-hmm. They need co-regulation, the ability to get along with other people, and positive self-identity, that feeling that bad things that happen to them are not who they are. Right. And so if, as a community, we can help them have 10,000 hours of self-regulation, right. co-regulation, positive self-identity, then that we start to rewire their brain. Mm-hmm. And the brain is plastic, and it wants to heal. It's hopeful it really mm-hmm. is that we we can help the brains to be rewired in a way right. that will lead to healthier outcomes and so a teacher may say well i'm only with this kid for about 45 minutes a day great that's 45 minutes out of that kid's day where they can have a relationship with you that teaches them co-regulation skills mm-hmm. so you might get frustrated with them in class and then later come back and say hey i was really frustrated I'm sorry about that. Let's see how we can work together and keep moving. Mm-hmm. And that's teaching them a good skill about conflict right. resolution. Right. So you're giving them a piece of what they need. If it's one teacher with 45 minutes, they also have other teachers with 45 minutes. And if there's this sort of incremental exposure, right. it does add up. I mean, And if we're a trauma-informed community, mm-hmm. they might also get an hour of this at the rec center with a staff member at Boys and Girls Club who's had some trauma-informed training. So you guys they, work with them as well then? They've, I know they've had some trauma-informed training. Mm-hmm. Um, we Here in Charlottesville, there's also a trauma-informed community network that's working to bring a lot of trainings to different agencies, and we have a lot of partners right. that is doing, are doing this work. And, um, you know, they might have, a student might have an hour with a therapist a week. Mm-hmm. I think something really important is that our administrations in schools have been trained on this. So the 20 minutes that they are meeting with a student after they've received a referral can be trauma-informed. Mm-hmm. And that is helping the student to, yeah. to develop those neuropathies. And you guys have been seeing that bearing fruit then? Oh, absolutely. I, I would say one great example would be um, the Lugo McGinnis Academy in Charlottesville. Okay. That's the alternative high school. And they have been trauma-informed probably since this first came to Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. They've been um, doing really great work over there. And I, I, I 
believe they're seeing their graduation rates go up and increase. Is there a specific approach that you guys have been working on with the Academy? Since the beginning, their principal, uh, Stephanie Carter, has Mm -hmm. done a lot of work to bring in training for their staff. Um, I know that she has brought in and participated in um, bringing the movies Paper Tigers and Resilience to our community. And those are two great movies about how communities and schools have been able to become trauma-informed and the the positive outcomes they've seen from that. And then, you know, in the very first year, I believe, Stephanie had me coming over on a monthly basis Mm -hmm. and doing some activities with with their staff Uh to to start to learn more about how they can incorporate these um, trauma-informed practices in their school. And she's gone on to do much more research mm-hmm. and, and really um, learn as much as she can and then be able to share that with her staff in a way that they've been able to change the environment oh, in a lot of ways. And great. I think it's been a positive, a very positive um, example of how this can so be helpful. So that's a pretty close relationship you guys have at that school. Right. Is that something where the, the teachers are able to kind of you know, after the initial sort of foundational work, mm-hmm. are they able to bring something in so that there's more of a, you know, to their yeah. specific needs uh, PD yeah, that work was, that's happening? Or is it still... Well, that still... was one of the things that we did initially was coming back and sort of looking at all of the pieces of mm-hmm. um, this work and how that makes sense to them. So figuring out, well, what do they know about the, their students mm-hmm. and their ACE scores? What do they know about when their students are struggling with their behaviors, what the needs might be behind those behaviors. Right. And developing a way to case conference about those students in a way that was trauma-informed to say, okay, so let's let's say this kid is really struggling in these areas. What do we know about them? What do we know they might need? Mm-hmm. You might, teachers might say, well, I know that they've been in foster care and I know that they have really struggled with peer relationships they get into fights all the time Mm -hmm. whatever it may be okay what are the strategies that we're going to use with this student to to support them Mm -hmm. and really being individualized about how they use their um, trauma-informed knowledge and i think that's been successful to them right Um, right and and it's not just at lugo mcginnis that we've seen this i know staff all over the county and the city have started Mm -hmm. to adopt some of these trauma-informed practices Um, And it's made it, I think it's made a big difference. You know, just, and this is what led me to reach out to you to to do this today, is that I know that, you know, once those initial conversations had been opened from your your early visit in the beginning of last school year, not this one, and then, you know, following up with, you know, the the sessions you did at Monticello, um, that there have been conversations that incorporate some of the aspects of, right. you know, what what you're talking about. And, you know, I remember hearing, you know, the, the dog is barking right. metaphor yeah. that, that you'd incorporate, and I'm sure we can get into that here right. in a second. But, you know, seeing that as a coach, um, talking with teachers at multiple grade levels and multiple disciplines, um, being something that comes up repeatedly in conversations I have, um, I think lends itself to, you know, kind of back up what you're saying from your end that you've been seeing is that, right. you know, there has been a movement towards that more restorative and, you know, not reactive, um, rather than reactive, um, 
approach towards dealing with students who who may be coming in with some pretty significant uh, you know traumas right. so and a lot of the material or recommendations that I give come from the writings of Dan Siegel okay who's a neuropsychologist is that S-E-G-E-L or S-I-E, S-I-E. I was, that was my next yeah. guess <laughs> so, so his work is based on brain science mm-hmm. but it's really relatable mostly it's written for parents but I think teachers can easily identify yeah you can and it, he, so he's the one who talks about instead of reacting to the behavior responding to the need mm-hmm. or connect then redirect um, and you know he has he has one book that I think is really helpful to anyone who has a teenage in teenager in their life mm-hmm. and that's called brainstorm huh. and it's a great book yeah. about just thinking about the teenage brain so when you were talking about yeah I've seen folks starting to put some of this into practice it's helpful not just for kids who've been in, had experienced trauma but for the teenage brain mm-hmm because they are developing. That is a wild the, place the brain with to begin with. Have yeah, farther to go. Right. But what do you mean it may have farther to go? Like it um, hasn't played out all the way yet, or no? It may may need there may be more skills and more oh. Oh, okay. pathways that mm-hmm. need to be built because they've been so entrenched in this toxic stress. Um, but any adolescent brain is developing these pathways, mm-hmm. having insight and empathy and being able to understand themselves and how to manage their emotions and be resilient. We need all brains to, to be learning the skills to be resilient and be wired that way. So I think that could be, it's really helpful for teachers to not just think about their most traumatized student, mm-hmm. but to think about all students in their brains and, I like that you're bringing and how that we're up. teaching yeah. them resilience. I think in our climate these days, Everyone needs resilience. Mm-hmm. And, no, it's true. And so th- these are strategies that you don't just single out your tra- traumatized student to say, I'm going to try these strategies with them. They're helpful for anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think about this. If, if I'm engaged, let's say, with a coworker who seems distressed, I'm thinking in the moment, okay, this person might not be in their upstairs brain yeah. or they're able right. to hear other strategies or problem solving I just need to connect with how frustrated they are right now. So I just validate that. So I don't have to only use these things with a traumatized kid. Mm-hmm. It's really helpful just with people because people's brains generally work that right. way. Right, yeah. And I think that it, obviously when you're working with a person who's who's dealing with trauma and they do have that much more higher anxiety state you know it's it's important to remember these steps but then I I mean you know like I was saying I'm glad you did recognize that you know it's good practice too just in general um, to approach a situation with an open mind like you had said uh, to reacting to the behavior versus oh, responding yeah. I mean, to the need right for any kid yeah. parents teachers anyone who's working with kids be thinking about that because we want to be teaching children how to be resilient which is really being calm in the face of conflict or distress um, we, we want them to be able to have those skills so a lot of these strategies are really you know trauma-informed strategies are really helpful Right for, for any population. I also want to add that what we know about ACEs is that about 70% of the general population has an ACE score. 
I do remember that. Once you brought it up, I remember having that slide where you'd had the list and, you know, you asked people to, to kind of consider, you know, right. each of these things. Yeah, and so I think there's there's one study out there that says generally every classroom will have at least one student who has an A score. But the data for kids under 16 maybe in schools, it's very high. I think it's maybe six in the high 60% have an A score. Um, so this is really important information for educators, not just the ones who are in classrooms with high-risk kids, right? but e- even the high-achieving academic students may have experienced a trauma. And I think it's so important to to be trauma-informed with all your students, right. essentially. No, I, I think that's, um, that's because a good point often you up. won't know. Right. What your kids are walking in the door with. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're working in maybe a, an environment, you know, where kids have been selected to come in and, you know, maybe specifically for that reason, you do know. Well, and what's interesting about trauma, trauma is not the event. Trauma is the experience and the effects of the event. And so... Do you want to elaborate maybe a little more on what <laughs> constitutes trauma? Because I like that you're you're clarifying here, you know, that right. it's not necessarily the incident, but the response to the incident. Right. Well, I was talking about the three E's of trauma. So the event that occurs, mm-hmm. the effects of that event, and... Oh, sorry, the, the second one would be the experience mm-hmm. of that. And the final is the effects of it. So an example I've heard given before in trainings would be... You may have uh, two siblings, let's say, Mary and Robert, um, and they might both experience witness domestic violence, so uh, someone being assaultive towards their mother. Um, Mary's response might be to go into her bedroom or you know and, and stay put and try to you know engage in a way that just calms people down and she's just trying to stay as small and as little and out of sight as she um, can, right? That's that freeze yeah. response. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Robert might run out of the house, run down the street to his grandmother and go to grandmother's and be safe there where she mm-hmm. is nurturing and caring. So he did the flight. So they experienced the same thing. They witnessed this mother being abused, but their responses were very different and the experience Mary's experience was she's in her room hiding and she can t- continue to hear mm-hmm. and she's feeling terrorized and feeling and trapped that, and, that fear mm-hmm. response and what's happening is the toxic stress hormone cortisol is just flooding through her body whereas Robert had that initial cortisol response and then he ran down the street mm-hmm. so he's working it out of his body mm-hmm. and then he goes and has lots of support so then the effects might look different Robert might come to school the next day or in the weeks that follow and seem to be doing okay, right? He might get into a little scuffle in the playground or, you know, seem a little bit on edge, but he might be doing okay, whereas Mary may come in and the effects look very different. Mm -hmm. She seems very quiet and withdrawn. She seems very depressed. She fails a test because she just sat there with the paper. And so that, that's what I'm talking about. It can be a traumatic experience, but we're just not sure exactly how kids are going to respond to that. And it can, it can differ from person to person. But knowing an ACE score can give you kind of a good baseline because we know that there is a correlation between a higher ACE score and more health and behavioral problems. Right. It's, it's a good indicator. And we really think about the ACE score as 
a new vital sign. So let's say you come into the doctor's office and they check your blood pressure and your heart rate and um, they want to check your weight. They are wise to also check your ACE score and say, what factors here mm-hmm. may lead to health problems for you? Unlike doing a family history tour, right. where you look at mm-hmm. you have diabetes in your family mm-hmm. or a history of um, obesity. Do you have a, a history of adverse childhood experiences? And that just, it doesn't say necessarily that you then have diabetes or you have the impact right. of this trauma, but it's a good indicator that we should keep a close eye on that. And we should be thinking about how we do preventative health care. Right. And that way, there is a pediatrician in Texas, Nadine Burke Harris is her name. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a great TED talk oh, okay. about ACEs. And she started doing the ACE screening with everyone coming into her practice and realized that 70% of her kids had an ACE score by age 7. And the great, if somewhat crude, metaphor that she uses, um, instead of treating, say, 12 kids drink from a well and we treat 11 of them for diarrhea, Mm -hmm. instead of continuing to treat the diarrhea, let's treat the well. You can't say to someone, oh, you, you know, a parent... Well, these are the ACEs, so now don't let your kid have an ACE score. That may not be possible, right? but can you reduce the dose of that ACE score? Right, just by giving informing your kid the support a little bit, yeah. And the, and the knowledge mm-hmm. that they need to then have res- you know, bring in resources to help that child. Um, so you can't. You may not necessarily be able to say, oh, well, this child's father won't be incarcerated. Well, he might be. Right. That's an ACE score of one. But... Can we bring in mentors for this kid or make sure that he has someone to talk to about how he's feeling about that? Other things to support right. that child to <coughs> remediate the impact of that ACE. I'm sure you, this isn't necessarily a new question, but I'm wondering if there's ever an appropriate time to go one-on-one with a kid and say, you know, what? Absolutely. let's look at this. Where do you fall on this? And you know, having a conversation around that. It's so helpful to teach kids about their brain. Um, we do that all the time in therapy. We teach mm-hmm. kids about ACEs. We teach them about their brain and the upstairs and the downstairs brain. One of the things that, are, that I, I go back to Dan Siegel, he teaches mm-hmm. is the hand model of the brain. Right. And you can find that on YouTube or right. anywhere where he explains that. But kids as young as five can understand that. I'm in my downstairs brain, or mm-hmm. I've flipped my lid. They just show a hand signal to be able to tell so us. So can you explain sort of, I know we're yeah. doing a podcast, so right. it's but not visible. But if you visible, hold up your but... hand and put your thumb in the palm of your hand, right. we imagine that as sort of your downstairs brain where mm-hmm. you have your amygdala right. and the fight, flight, or freeze response. And then if you fold your fingers over to make a fist, the, where your knuckles are, that's your prefrontal cortex, that upstairs part of your brain where you have your higher level functioning, your rational thought. Um, ability to communicate, empathize. You're able to work things out through a process of thought. Right. So we're thinking on a rudimentary level, (laughs) your feeling brain and your your thinking brain. Right. And so when a stressor occurs, you sort of imagine flipping your fingers up. You flip Mm -hmm. your lid because that downstairs brain has now hijacked and you're in fight, flight, or freeze mode. Mm -hmm. And so we want to teach kids how to bring back that Close that up. Close it back and bring that prefrontal cortex, that upstairs brain, back online. Right. Because you really can't access that when you're in fight, flight, or freeze mode. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are lots of ways of 
sort of soothing, self-soothing and calming down, deep breathing being Mm -hmm. one of the best ways to do that. But once we teach kids about their brain, they start to understand, oh, Mm -hmm. I need to do the things to get my upstairs brain back on track, back engaged. Mm -hmm. Um, And an example of that would be um, in the movie Paper Tigers. You Mm -hmm. see the teacher, the science teacher, teaching the students about ACEs. And the students are asked to sort of clock in. They have technology where they can kind of text their ACE score. Hmm. And, you know, the numbers are high for this right. population. Mm-hmm. And they sort of are, you can kind of see that light bulb come on in kids when they're like, oh, I have an A score of a 7 or an 8. So what does that and do for them to know it, that? Like, what do they do with that? Like, if you've got a situation right. where the kids have now become aware, I have a 7 on my A well, score. Well, the, the knowledge. So if you've experienced this, there may be some things that you're not as skilled at because you haven't had that practice yet and so your brain is going to need you to practice that to be healthy and resilient mm-hmm. and we would rarely ever ask for someone's a score without also looking at their resilience instead of what's wrong what's strong this person and saying so what are this the resources that you do have that are going to help you to be able to stay healthy and that I mean, having the knowledge that ACEs often lead to unhealthy behaviors Mm -hmm. and lifestyles and then ultimately more a greater risk of disease and early death and really help someone say, okay, I know I need to really take care of myself and I need to do preventative methods to be healthy Mm -hmm. or to be in healthy relationships. I'm Mm going to need some support around that. Um, And I think it, it can be really empowering to kids to say, okay, I'm, I can be resilient. Mm-hmm. This may have happened to me, but this is not who I am. We all often, when we're um, presenting this information to educators, we will have them do their own A score. Yeah, I remember and doing that. Many times afterwards, I have a teacher come up and say, it's like, whoa. I have an A score of eight or nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What does that mean for me? Well, the greatest evidence that you're resilient is that you're standing here mm-hmm. as an educator. You have been able to do so many of the things mm-hmm. that you have you've needed to do to be able to overcome that so mm-hmm. an a score is not a diagnosis of future problems it's just an indicator okay that there needs to be more attention given to this person's health and wellness so looking at that that piece with like the co-worker end of it mm-hmm. as a you know as an educator and somebody who maybe is is realizing they've got that a score or, or maybe they haven't gone through and done that piece where they're aware that there is this indicator that uh, places them in a risk situation have have you seen anything come up on your radar with I'm with sure. those types of situations absolutely i have talked to educators who now understand more about themselves mm-hmm. and their own a score and then are able to better recognize okay I often go into fight or fight mode oh, okay. with a student who's being loud and disrespectful. And one of the strategies that we will encourage is tapping out. So the ability to say, okay, I'm in my downstairs brain. My lid has flipped. Or as we say, my dog is barking. And so I'm going to let somebody whose dog is not barking take over here while I calm down because I need to take care of myself. And then I've had teachers say to me, well, but that's going to look like I'm not in control of my classroom or the student will think I can't handle this situation. And we say, no, because you're not done there. 
Mm-hmm. Once you've let another teacher come in and redirect the student, you then circle back. And this is where the teaching happens. Yeah. Where you come back to that student and say, hey, we were both really upset. Mm-hmm. Both of our dogs were barking. Mm-hmm. And I just want to see what do we need to do to move forward? How do we make it right? I, w- I want to get back to work and I want to help you learn this material. Right. right. And that's teaching that child co-regulation. Mm-hmm. And you're modeling self-regulation for yeah, them. And that's restorative practice, yes, too. I mean, absolutely. so there, I mean, if if you're looking at that type of a situation, then yeah, that comes right back into that okay. other piece. Um, and, and I think having that awareness as a teacher or an educator right. in a building, you know, I know I've been in situations where I've had to, you know, tap out, you know, oh, yeah. it's, I mean, it's, it's so useful and can be used really well to really serve the teacher mm-hmm. well that's yeah. meeting their needs but also the student who is and then able to see that modeled mm-hmm. okay that teacher was really upset and took a time out to kind mm-hmm. of get themselves together so they could be thoughtful mm-hmm. and that's a that's a skill we want students to learn right we, we really can't ask our students to go farther than we can go ourselves right <laughs> so no that's true we need the ability to have self-regulation and co-regulation and practice those mm-hmm. skills. And, and that's important that then as educators, you're taking care of yourself and mm-hmm. being able to do that. So again, if a teacher is would say to me, I have this high A score, then I would just say, how are you taking care of yourself? Because that's an important piece of that. That is a good question and, to ask too. And what are you doing to make sure that you're, you're doing okay mm-hmm. while you're working with these students who probably also have yeah. scores. Yeah. Um, and I think that's an important piece for administrations and educators to be thinking about is what are we doing to make sure our staff is supported so they can work with really difficult populations yeah. who have a lot of high needs. Um, we have a little bit of time left. Mm-hmm. I want to, um, you know, I want to make sure we cover a couple things, yeah. but we can probably do those in brief. Um, so long-term you know, what has been the outlook for, for students going through this, you know, process of, you know, they, they've been dealing with trauma and, you know, going through education. Like, what are some of the outcomes that you've seen now that there's been, I mean, you were talking about the academy and you're starting to see right. graduation rates and right. things well, like I, that. I think but, when you put trauma-informed practices into place, you start to see more high school graduations, a reduction in juvenile uh, justice engagement, which mm-hmm. is really important that we reduce the number of kids who are involved in the criminal justice system. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, my, my hope is that we then see kids who are able to engage in a healthy way in our community, holding down jobs, being able to be in healthy relationships. And something that I think about all the time is break the cycle of trauma. So mm-hmm. they are not mm-hmm. going on to have their own families that experience such high ACEs. And I think the more we share this information and we talk about ACEs and people start to understand the impact of it, I think we will, through that education, start to see a reduction. Right. And I, and I, so that they're able to get set on that path to where they right. can do that regulation piece. I also think it's really been helpful in helping to think about how clusters of symptoms are viewed in our community. What do you mean? So you may see a kid who has symptoms of ADHD, symptoms of anxiety, symptoms of oppositional defiant Mm -hmm. disorder, 
And now we look at that cluster and say, oh, there's probably trauma there. And so I think it's really changing the prognosis. Instead of saying, oh, this is a kid who has oppositional defiant disorder. No, this is a kid who needs some skills. Mm-hmm. They've had these traumatic experiences. I think it's a really hopeful thing yeah. to, to be able to identify how trauma impacts the brain. Well, it sounds more like it's a, a process that needs to be recursive. Am I correct on that? Where, you know, you, you might hit a benchmark, you come back and reevaluate and then move forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, we, as a community, we have so many people in various areas just learning about this. Mm-hmm. And then we have a handful who are moving to the next steps for how mm-hmm. to be trauma-informed schools or... Um, social services or the juvenile justice system, mm-hmm. you know, training judges and lawyers, things like that right. on trauma-informed care. And so I think you will see that in time, we'll, we will have better outcomes in our community. Right. That's the hope. I know I had uh, asked you about resources, and I know, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, we're starting right. to, to wrap up here. Um, I am going to put, you, you have a, a list that you wanted to yes, send me. I'll put that up on the, on the blog. I would just point out one that I think mm-hmm. is probably the best resource. is called ACES Too High. ACES Too High. Is that? It's a .org. There you can go and look at the ACE screening tool to mm-hmm. see the 10 ACEs. And then there are endless articles about schools and communities who have put in trauma-informed practices into place and what the outcomes are. Okay. And they, you can link to another website called ACES Connection that's all about how you can get involved in your own community. So there's some really good resources from schools that have already started doing this and are mm-hmm. seeing success. And you can see the kind of things that they're doing. Because trauma-informed, it, they're little pieces of it, like... You know, having a teacher think about when their students walk in and they want their attention instead of flicking the light and clapping their hands, <laughs> yeah. which would be a tr- would trigger it could, a trauma. Yeah, response. especially with like the young children the too. Yeah, loud noises is often traumatic. Mm-hmm. So, but then there are also the big things that you do, and really that is building a relationship on safety and trust. Right, and and that's a little bit dif- more difficult to explain how to do. So there are lots of resources out there. I will I will send you those. Great, um, yeah, and I'll make sure to post those. I'll tweet out that list as well so that it's great. on there. And then the very very last thing I want to do is just to ask you if there's something that you know when you have conversations about this topic um, that you wish somebody would ask you or that you would be able to engage in this specific part of the discussion that you don't normally get the chance to do. Right. I, you know, I think we often get right up to the point where we say, yes, what we need for kids is resilience. And we talk about that positive self-identity mm-hmm. as being one of the three things kids really need to be successful. And I, I believe educators understand intrinsically how to be teaching uh, self-regulation skills and co-regulation skills. Mm-hmm. But really, wiring the brain for positive self-identity is a little bit more difficult to put your finger on. Mm-hmm. And and I really believe that is in those healthy relationships. And I, I wish that folks would ask more often, well, how do I do that? How do I encourage a young person to, to be building their positive self-identity and mm-hmm. their self-worth? And I think that's a really that's a challenge for any adolescent. Yeah. That's a challenge for any human. Right. But it's no, it's particularly is. <laughs> challenging for those who've experienced ACEs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would really love to have people be thinking about how they can be encouraging the mm-hmm. kids in their lives. 
Where might you point them in, in regard to helping them get to that piece? Dan Siegel's brand new book called The Yes Brain. The Yes Brain. And that is okay. on building resilience in our kids. And so the way we have talked today about that upstairs and downstairs mm-hmm. brain, he calls it the upstairs brain, the yes brain. That's mm-hmm. the receptive brain. And the downstairs brain is the no brain, the reactive. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's, so far I've been reading it. It came out about a week ago. Oh, wow. Okay. So that uh, is fresh off fresh, the press. But okay. I've been reading that and that's really why that's been it, um, sort of in my mind of that really is the next step is teaching resilience and mm-hmm. thinking about how we do that in our interactions mm-hmm. with young people. Um, and I think that's so important. No, it so, is. I'm, I'm very excited about that work because I do think a lot of people in our community have gotten to that point where they're saying, what's next? Mm-hmm. They're ready for that. Building resilience. Yeah. That's what's... Yeah. So how did we do? Are you feeling all right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah? Yeah. Good. Good. Well, thanks yeah. for doing this. I really appreciate it. I was, well, I was, I was glad that you were. Us yeah, you. I was glad that you were. You were able to do this because I know you were a little hesitant at first. Absolutely. <laughs> and I understand how important getting this information out is. And yeah. I think it's, it's valuable to do. And I'll just use my self-regulation skills. There we go. <laughs> Great. Be resilient. Wonderful. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. there we have it. Uh, not too bad, especially considering that, uh, that Sarah was a little nervous coming in. So uh, I really want to say thanks again to her. She did a great job. Also, I want to remind you that uh, I do have a supplement to this podcast episode on my blog page at theednarrative.com. Um, feel free to leave comments as well. Um, you can do that on the blogs or on the podcast episodes. I have that open for comments. Uh, You can also reach out and do just a general email through the contact page on the website. Or you can do that on Twitter, at The Ed Narrative. So, thanks again, guys. Remember to check out the next episode, March 15th, Pam Moran and Matt Haas from Albemarle County Schools. I'll catch you later. Bye.